Welcome to Improv Interviews. I am so excited today to have a classmate colleague of mine in improvisational classes during the pandemic. And his name is Dr. Stephen Owen. Hi, Steve. Hi, Margo. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you too. So let's talk a little bit about um, your childhood and your teen years. Were you interested in theater or drama at all back then? Very much so. Um, in fact, my grandmother was a drama teacher at our local high school. And uh, during World War II, she actually did therapeutic drama with um, folks in a Red Cross hospital down in Texas uh, who had returned from, from the war front. Uh, so I grew up hearing about theater. And when I was young, I was a very reserved, very shy kind of kid. And it was actually getting into high school speech classes and speech competitions that really changed that for me. So that's not necessarily stage drama, but uh, it was performing. It was a, it was a performance art and it was something that I can point to. Uh, in fact, I'm going to give a shout out to my teacher, Susan Heckmatt, who changed my life uh, by getting me involved in that. And that was my high school activity. And from there, I was hooked on performing arts. Oh, that's beautiful. And where did you grow up? What part of the country did you grow up in? I grew up in the Midwest in a, a small town in Missouri called Cape Girardeau, uh, right on the Mississippi River, about two hours south of St. Louis. Okay. And now you're in Virginia. In Christiansburg, uh, Christiansburg huh? Virginia. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I lived in Cape Girardeau, then I went to St. Louis for graduate school, and then uh, my job brought me out here to Southwest Virginia. Now, in high school and beyond high school, did you perform at all? Did you do any theater or drama? Or I wish I could say yes to that. I would have loved to have continued it after uh, leaving high school. Uh, you know, in high school, you know, I was doing events, uh, competitive events like prose reading and storytelling and humorous interpretation, uh, which is when you perform all parts of a play. And, um, you know, those were wonderful. I, I always wanted to do more, but then, you know, life did what it does and uh, took me into the workplace. And I didn't get to pursue that until much more recently. But it's always been it's always been a love. That's tremendous. And your PhD is in political science. What took you into political science, Steve? Well, my undergraduate work was actually in criminal justice, uh, which uh, I, I found and continue to find to be a fascinating area. But when I went to graduate school, I, I wanted something that was a little more broad. Uh, criminal justice is fairly narrow. And what I liked about political science is that as a field, it really lets you study almost anything because anything that has a public policy related to it or an agency and public administration related to it, you can study with political science. So I'm very much a policy theorist by academic training and uh, that let me look at criminal justice in a very different way than if I had gone through and done a criminal justice uh, graduate degree. So how did you get into improv theater? Uh, well, that's been over 20 years in the making, actually. Uh, <laughs> back when I was in high school, my uh, speech coach recommended Viola Spolin's book, and it was in the second edition at the time. And so I went right out and bought it and read it and thought, this is kind of brilliant. And periodically, I picked it up and reread it when 
I don't know what in my life led me to do that, but there were multiple times when I did. And I always thought, gosh, I wish I could take a class in this. But, you know, living in Southwest Virginia, there haven't been a lot of opportunities to do that. But I'll tell you what got me into it. Uh, and this has been fairly recent. I, uh, I had a sabbatical in 2019 uh, from the 2019-2020 academic year. So I had no teaching and no service responsibilities. I was just doing research. And what I was researching was a very heavy topic, uh, active shooter events. And I know from having worked with that before that um, it's really easy to come home at the end of the day and not feel very good after studying some of the worst things that people can go through. So I said, as part of my sabbatical, I need to do something for my own mental health. And I said, why not improv? I've said I want to do this for over 20 years. <laughs> why not? And Aretha Sills was offering a two-day weekend intensive in New York City. I love New York anyway. And there were some shows I wanted to see. So I said, why not? I'm going to go up and do it. And that was my first step into it. And that would have been in May of 2019. I got hooked and kept kept going. And that was uh, that was what got me here. I, I, I was supposed to go to Aretha's class in New York in 2020, but unfortunately that was canceled. So yep. when the pandemic happened, what happened with your studies? Well, I, I, from from that May of 19, uh, 2019 up into early 2020, I really had made it my goal to do as much as I could. Oh, good. Uh, so I, I, I went to L.A. and did uh, a five-day intensive with Aretha. I went to uh, Gary Schwartz's weekend retreat in outside of Seattle. I did a week in uh, the Second City Training Center in Chicago. Uh, I did a long weekend in another long weekend in New York doing uh, Theater of the Oppressed uh, training, which uh, is, is another model that I just love. Me too. I, me too. I, I love Boal. It's wonderful. Oh, and, and, and I find that, that Spolin and Boal have some nice synergies in terms of working toward uh, social change. And so, yeah, that was really meaningful to me. And then um, I, I, I ran across, uh, well, Aretha actually put me into contact with the Irondale Ensemble in Brooklyn, which has a program called To Protect, Serve and Understand, where they bring together NYPD officers and civilians. They play improv games together and then they do an improvised show at the end. So I was able to talk to Terry Grease, who's their executive director who runs that program. I was also able to go up and see their final show um, in December of, I guess it would have been 2019. So I was doing all that up through the pandemic. Wow. Um, once wow. The, <laughs> and once the pandemic happened, I thought, well, I guess I'm not gonna be able to do this anymore, but boy, was I wrong. Uh, I've continued to take Aretha's classes. I've been in workshops with with Gary Schwartz almost weekly uh, since the pandemic started. And in fact, playing online uh, I, I, is one of the things I credit to keeping me sane. You know, I also uh, mentioned Ed Reggie in St. Louis uh, toward the beginning of the pandemic had a great uh, workshop for Spolin teachers. And we met every week trying to really think about how to translate the games online. And so, so really, ironically, I've played more and with more people and more often during COVID when everything was locked down than I did before. And 
So if there's anything positive, and I know there's not much to come out of the last year, um, the accessibility of playing online has been one of those things. I totally agree. I, I spend many hours a week taking classes, workshops, getting coached. <laughs> I, I just love it. So, um, so I guess I met you with Gary maybe first. I think I was at a Gary workshop when I met you, and I just love Gary. He's terrific. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great guy. And then um, in Aretha's classes, and we've taken some of the same classes um, leading up to advanced, but you've taken the teacher training class with Aretha yes. online. Can you describe that class? Because I'm fascinated in it. Yeah, this was, I, I believe this was the first time she had offered it. And it was a 36 hour workshop. Uh, we met for six weeks. And each week we met two days, a Wednesday and a Saturday, three hours each day. And on Wednesdays, we would we had we had reading assignments. We read from uh, uh, from Neva Boyd's work. We read from, of course, uh, multiple uh, pieces of Viola's work, the big book and some of the other books as well. And on Wednesdays, we basically had theory day where we would process the readings and talk about what they were really trying to get across and, 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 and to understand some of the nuances. And then Saturdays were our practicums where each of us in the class would pick a game and lead it every Saturday uh, based on the section of content that we had worked with uh, that Wednesday. So it was um, quite a powerful experience to really get in that level of depth into the work and then to be able to use those practicum days to kind of experiment about how to lead it and and to learn from what we did in front of from what our classmates did so it, it was it was a tremendously um yeah i would use the word powerful experience to be able to get into that kind of depth oh i'm so jealous i'm so jealous of all the training you've had it's really wonderful and i i just love aretha Absolutely. And um, I, you know, there's some people in the improv world who've never even heard of Viola Spole, and as weird as that might sound. Oh, I've, I've heard, and, and you know, what really bothers me is, um, you know, I, I, I have friends who sometimes have heard of, of Viola's work, but really don't have an understanding of it. And, and to me, it's such a shame because I, I don't see this as just, improv i mean this is work that has applications in multiple areas including in acting beyond improvisational acting i say that as a non-actor but but i i mean when I, I i i hate to see her work distilled to you know just being for games because it's it's just so much more than that and you know from from both aretha and from gary um getting the philosophical ideas that underlie this work it's just so profound that um, I wish there were more people out there who really had access to it and would see the value for what it is. And, and you know, that's why major props to Aretha and to Gary and to Hal Peller and to Ed in St. Louis and and you and I mean everyone who's teaching this work. It's so it's so wonderful. And I, I whenever there's an opportunity for it to have an audience, I, I think that's just one more group of people who can see the brilliance. Oh, exactly. I, you know, I'm a, a social worker, psychotherapist, and I speak to a lot of mental health people on using improv therapeutically. And I bring a, um, Viola's book, I hold it up and I say, even if you never are interested in improv, you need to, every social worker, mental health person needs to read this book. 
it's philosophy, it's psychology. I mean, just all of the stuff about coaching that can be applied in so many other areas. And, and it's so exciting to talk about it and to keep spreading the word like Johnny Appleseed, Johnny Spolin book or something. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so, so you taking all these classes, getting, you know, certifications or whatever, but you had some goals in mind. You were, you were very influenced by the group in New York. Um, and so what are some of the projects that you have been setting out on yourself? Mm -hmm. uh, well, um, and, and, you know, I'll just say that I, when I started this, this was purely supposed to be just an outlet for me to have fun. Uh, that that's and and I mean that's part of what her games are about too is is find the enjoyment in them. But I remember when I was taking the train back from that first session in New York. Of course, immediately after we finished on the second day, I went to the Barnes and Noble at Union Square and I went to the theater section. I said I got to have the third edition, and it was there. And so on the train, I had it with me and I started reading it, um, I'll say again, because I'd read the second edition, but the third edition has some great uh, new material. And as I began to read through it, the more I did, and, I, and this was an eight hour train ride. And so, you know, as, as I was reading this, I, this book is now the most marked up book that I own because I kept making all of these notes in the margins and, and, and wound up thinking to myself by the time I got home, this is not just for theater. This is not just for me having fun. There's the potential to make a contribution here by applying this to criminal justice. And so after that first session, I kind of had made up my mind that there's potential. And then going into all of the other sessions, in addition to just doing it for myself, I was thinking, okay, now how can I apply this in a way that maybe could benefit criminal justice? So you know, that's been my my main focus for what I want to do with the work professionally. Can you describe it a little bit more, what you're actually doing and who sure. you're working with and what it looks like? Sure. So I'm working with uh, so so I'm, I'm a criminal justice professor at, at Radford University, which is in southwest Virginia, and I have developed a course that I call communication and police community relationships. And I frame it around the notion that right now, of course, police community relationships are pretty bad in, in the United States and understandably so. Yeah. And what's been really frustrating to me as a criminal justice scholar is seeing because so much of my work, I try to bridge the professional community with academe. I don't want to be one of these ivory tower people who sits and just theorizes all day and, and, and says I'm good. So I want to bridge things out. But what frustrates me is with the problems that we know are there in policing, there's really a lack of solutions that anyone is talking meaningfully about. There'll be the occasional legal changes and once in a while there'll be, you know, someone in the criminal justice community and the policing community says, oh, I have a great idea. But for the most part, and the political science side of me is just absolutely astounded by this. For the most part, despite everything that's happened, there has not been meaningful policy change that seeks to improve police community relations. But when you come down to it, I think a lot of it is about understanding each other, having empathy, and being able to communicate that in a meaningful way. 
So my students are students who ultimately are going to go out into the profession. Uh, they're not police officers yet, but many of them will be. So I thought, why don't I create a class that uses applied improvisation, drawing upon Viola's work and upon uh, Augusto Boal's work, that can give my students some insights really into four areas. So I scaffold this as I go through my course. We start with observation. And observation has to be more than describing a suspect or describing a vehicle. Observation has to be a real awareness of the world around us and a real awareness of the people that we interact with and being able to see them for uh, being people, really. And so that's the first thing we do. Then we say we need, then I say we need to work on communication. So how can we communicate by listening? How can we communicate through our voice? How can we do that in ways that demonstrate empathetic understandings? And then let's just talk about empathy and we got to get into emotions. We got to get into conflict and we got to understand how to process some of that and how to understand people who are feeling that even if they are different than us. And, you know, then from all of that, let's take the leap to social change. And that's where I make the transition from uh, Spolin work to Boal work. Uh, and we do a legislative theater performance uh, using the forum theater approach. We, we workshop a story for about four weeks and then we do a performance and we use that forum theater model. And we use a lot of Viola's games to really build that performance or work on storytelling and uh, some of the, the games that uh, uh, like scene on scene that, that really allow the exploration of, of how a story might emerge and what the backstory behind a story is. Uh, so, so those are my goals, observation, communication, empathy, and social change. And if I can get my students to at least see that the world out there is a complex place, but that there are tools we can use to understand it. And there are tools we can use to have respect and empathy for each other. And we can enter into work with that perception. Then I feel like I've done something good at the end of the day. And so that's what I've developed my class um, to try to accomplish. That is so wonderful. Now, when you mention improv, does some of them think about like whose line is it anyway, or stand up comedy and have those kinds of misperceptions? Yes, I, I try to uh, I, I try to deal with that very early before the class even starts. Uh, you know, I say, look, this is not whose line is it anyway. You don't have to be funny. In fact, if you're trying to be funny, it's probably not going to work and you don't have to be an actor and you don't have to even you know worry about that talent thing because we're not even going to mention that word and you know it's it just come and have the experience let's all have this experience together and learn from each other and learn from a new way of approaching problems and you know what, what i what i try to do is in the early weeks particularly the first week let's just have fun. And I'm going to, we're going to do some games that I think also have relevance, but let's just have a good time doing it. And if I can, if I can get them through that and get them to see the value of the concept, then, um, then they're going to be okay. And they were okay. 
you know, and I have them, and I think this really helps with it. Uh, I have them do reflective journaling. So mm-hmm. each week, each week they reflect in writing on the games that we played. I give them a homework game to do that's based on one that we did in class that they can do by themselves. And they reflect on that. We read a piece of literature from the policing um, area and they relate that to what we've done in class. And then they conclude their reflective journal with, and here are the takeaways for the professional community based on all of that. Right. And I have to say, going into it, I didn't know what they were going to come up with because I'm I'm really just trying to be a fellow player with them and to provide some experiences that I that I hope are valuable. But as I read their journals, the the the, the depths of the insights are frequently moving to me when I see what they've been able to take away. And so then it becomes so much more than improv. It beca- it becomes so much more than than even a theatrical art, it becomes a transformative experience. And uh, I did not expect that. I I hoped for it. I didn't expect it to happen, especially the first time I was teaching, but it it did. And, you know, that's where I really felt that that this approach is one that's validated, that that it it can have the impact that that I hope it does. And I even had some students who were working in the field, uh, in addition to being students, and hearing their input, uh, hearing them say things like, yeah, I, what, what we just went through, that's so relevant to what I do every day. Or, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep teaching this class and, and get, you know, get these ideas out there. You know, that was really affirming to me personally. Yes. But, yes. but more importantly, it, it's a proof of concept that this, is, this may be a way forward to help build that level of empathy that's necessary to bridge the gaps that we see in the professional community. And, and, you know, if it is, if this can be my contribution, great. I mean, that's kind of how I'm, I'm looking at it. Well, this is a brilliant contribution. I don't know of anybody else teaching like you are right now. And I see a book uh, probably, and uh, I bet students really enjoy your class. I, also, the transformative experience is so important. I'm imagining they might be younger students or not like older returning to school people. These are mostly uh, early 20s folks. Oh, that's great. Oh, that is great. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I really would, I, I really would label this population as pre-service criminal justice professionals uh-huh, uh-huh. Who, who are looking to make this their life's work. And, you know, I, I, I'm not naive enough to say that one class for one group of students is going to make all the difference in the world, but if it can be a step in that direction, then that's what I want to do. And, you know, if they can look back and remember even a couple of things, great. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like it's been worth it. Absolutely. It, it, now, have any of these students expressed an interest to maybe do some improv in the performance realm at all? Uh, not to me, but the, some of them should. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, it amazes me. And, and to, well, to me, this is just another testament to Viola's work, that, that I have a group of people and I asked them, what is your acting experience? And essentially, other than maybe a school play here or there, for a couple of them, their acting experience was, we don't have any. And to see them 
do the exercises the way that they did, it just, that affirms her approach because these are not professional actors. These are not people with experience. But what I saw them do was so <laughs> natural uh -huh. and, 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 and they, they, they just took to the games so well. And I think that's because of how she structured this approach of being non-judgmental, of having a strong focus for each of the games and, and focusing on that, that progression of we're going to start with the traditional game, we're going to do a spacewalk to focus ourselves, and then we're going to get into the work. And by the time we're into it, it's fun and the problems are interesting to solve. And it, I, I was quite impressed, actually, with, with, with what, uh, what I saw them do. Because they don't have any background or any preconceived ideas, they can be genuine, I think. And yeah. one of the things I love about uh, Viola's, one of the aspects of her philosophy I love is about approval and disapproval mm -hmm. and learning because we're in a society of people that want to be approved of and all that. And so it just many aspects of her work are so important for becoming a full human being. I mean, it's just so exciting to me that you're doing this now. We talked beforehand about both of us have been involved in critical incident debriefing. I work more with the civilian population, and you work with the law enforcement part of population. Uh, and um, and I see using improv in CISD training could be very useful. Have you done anything like that or exploring it? I think that's a really interesting concept. Uh, you know, one thing that um, and while while I'm I have not directly led a critical incident debriefing um, because that's, I mean, I, I don't have the training to actually lead it, but, uh, and I really believe in the power of bringing in social workers and psychologists to, to, to facilitate those conversations. But one thing that, that, you know, we see in criminal justice and especially law enforcement now is there's been a turn to becoming more accepting of that. I mean, even 20 years ago, if you mentioned post-incident counseling or critical incident debriefing, people, oh, we don't need that. This was just right, another right. incident and, oh, we're going right. to be fine. And, you know, we know now, of course, there are some incidents that aren't just regular incidents and no, you might not be fine uh, after it. And so one of the one of the turns that we've seen is to, to see law enforcement becoming much more accepting of that and understanding the need for it, although it's not completely there yet. But I think that I think that some of these games and using that in a very um well thought out kind of program would have some real potential to help folks work through things uh after a critical incident i, I so that's not something i've directly explored but i think there's tremendous potential oh i do too i've i've, I've been a critical incident stress debriefer mm -hmm. on occasions but uh, since i got into improv i see all the connections and possible places we can go with it so i think it's a, a terrific area to work in so what are some of the plans for uh, now you're going to be teaching every semester are you teaching right now or are you off for the summer or what's going on i'm off for the summer uh but uh in later august our semester will start and i will be teaching this class again uh and I, and you know last semester i had to teach it online and of course we've all learned now that zoom can work for for this but i'm so looking forward to being face to face uh to be able to do this but uh, one thing that one thing that I'm really looking forward to uh, trying to do is uh, 
I, I'd like to be able, and, and I'm going to work on this in the coming year. Uh, and I, I'm doing some research that will facilitate this, I hope. I want to be able to go beyond these pre-service criminal justice students to be able to work with actual in-service law enforcement officers, uh, which is a different community, uh, which would take a little bit of a different approach, although I don't think terribly different. Uh, so being able to start doing some in-service trainings or work with academies uh, is the next step that, that I would like to do because I am, I'm very confident it, it would be successful. Absolutely. And you'd be so perfect to teach it. I mean, what a background you have. It's just wonderful. I mean, I'm very well impressed and so honored to know you by the work that you're doing. You know, when I first met you. I, I didn't have any, I, you know, we don't know what everybody else is doing and what's going on. Just this nice person that was playing the games and what a wealth of experience and knowledge you have. It's, it's beautiful to, to be with you right now and talk about this. Well, well, thank you. And can I read a brief quote from the book uh, from Improvisation for the Theater? Absolutely, please do. Because this is one of my favorite quotes. This is at the beginning where Paul Sills uh, has the list of his favorite sayings from Viola. And I just love this one. Uh, theater games do not inspire proper moral behavior, good or bad, but rather seek to free each person to feel his or her own true nature, out of which a felt, experienced, actual love of neighbor will appear. And when I think about what I'm trying to do, or even just the games and their role in my personal life, I keep coming back to that quote as just such a beautiful expression of the power that they hold. That's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Just lovely. So what classes will I see you in next? Uh, are you going to be doing more online classes for a while? Because, you know, with people in different parts of the country, that's the only way we can study with them anyway. Yeah, um, I don't know when my next one will be, but I'm sure it will be soon. And uh, now I can't wait to get back to going to classes face to face, but uh, I'm sure I will be in the Zoom world uh, taking one before too long. And and hopefully, uh, I'm, and in fact, I'm sure our our paths will continue to cross there as well. Oh, yeah. When, when she comes back to New York, I'll be there. Believe me, when, when Aretha comes back to New York, I definitely want to do that. So, um, well, thank you so much for your time, Steve. And I know my listeners are going to really enjoy hearing about the wonderful groundbreaking work that you're doing because it's a real pioneering effort and I appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you. And I, I really, I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about it. So this, this has been great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. And I'll say goodbye for now and we'll see you around Zoom land for now. Okay, I hope so. Great. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.